0: Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably
1: going to win a million awards either way. (laughs) Chris, we do care. So
0: don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? (laughs) (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. All right, this is a hard man to get. I don't even know what part of the world he's in now. There's just a blank background. Dirk Nowitzki is here, retired Hall of Famer, legend. Uh, basketball playoffs are about to start. You're, are you watching it all? What what happens with you when you retire? Do you still watch? Do you tune in TNT? Do you dabble? What, what what's your rooting habits these days?
1: Well, I haven't watched as much as I probably should be. Uh, you know, it was, I traveled a little bit. Uh, you know, that was one of my goals after retirement. I wanted to travel the world with the kids. We have family all over the world. So um, I did some of that. And, uh, and of course, now it's, the season's heating up. Uh, I'm watching a little more. And I'm, of course, excited, uh, hopefully, for, for the mass playoffs run. But I went to my first game last week, actually, in Dallas. Um, so yeah, I'm watching a lot more now that it's, uh, it's, it's crunch time. Let's talk Luca first because
0: they're playing the clips. Um, first of all, the clips tank the last two games to play Dallas and to get out of the Lakers side of the bracket. And, you know, you played for two decades. How much do you take that? You used to take some stuff personally. You would take some slights from time to time. Do you take that? Would you take that personally? Would you even need do even need motivation when it gets to the playoffs? How would you have reacted to that?
1: Not really. I think the playoff time is is just such a great time with a great atmosphere, and you've been playing a super super long regular season. We all agree it's way too long uh, to get to this moment. So I don't really think there is any added uh, added motivation going on. You just the team that comes, uh, you have to prepare for, and you're fired up to play. uh you know they have a, now we have a little history with the Clippers since we played them in the bubble and there was some stuff going on mm. with Luca and some fouls uh the Mavs weren't happy about so I don't think there needs to be added motivation I think they're the Clippers are a great team they're well coached and they're deep and so uh the Mavs are going to have their hands full there obviously the Clippers going to be uh the heavy favorites but uh Um, You know, if the maps stay healthy and Luca has a great series, I think that can uh, can make it very interesting. What in your career?
0: How many times did you take something personally? Because I can specifically remember 2011 Finals when you were sick and LeBron (laughs) Wade and they they kind of made a snide comment about it that you took personally. But you were you were on a mission that whole playoffs. But that specifically, you were a little salty bat. Yeah, I didn't like that, of course. Like I said in
1: the press comments the day after, I, I've never in my career faked an illness or an injury. I always, when I was ready to play, I played. And so I, I didn't love that, but it, at the end of the day, we were, I was one win away from, from my dream, you know. I I wasn't yeah. really letting that get into my head too much, but of course I wasn't. I wasn't a big fan of that. But other than that, I think there is a little trash here and there. Some some matchups mean a little more than others. Um, me and KG always had great battles over the years. He, you know, he he was a talker. Um, but you know, I, I I'm the guy that that usually try to approach every game the same. That's you know, help your team win and and try to get baskets. I mean, I was a great defender. I was a great rebounder. I was a great passer. The way I impacted the game was at scoring. So it, to me, i try to approach the game always the same. And that's establish myself, score early, get your rhythm, and then sort of drag your teammates along. But uh, my, my best trade was, was, was scoring the ball. So I tried to do that early and often. You weren't
0: a great rebounder, but you were a sneaky, good rebounder. You, were you, in big uh, games, you would end up with, like, 15, 16, 17. So I, yeah, you were, like, a very good rebounder.
1: Like, I wouldn't say I was a great rebounder. I was a decent rebounder. Like, when I first got in the league, I was, I was super skinny. And I had to work on my body. I think it's normal. My body wasn't quite NBA-ready. You know, the muscle, uh, Charles Barkley, and all these big guys under the basket. So uh, I got, as my body matured, I uh, got a little stronger and, you know, I, I mastered the tipping thing a little bit. So I tipped some balls to myself. Uh, um, so, I, yeah, I, I had a decent nose for the ball, but I was never really a great grinder, push guys out of the way, rebounder. That was that was just not me. But when it was in my vicinity, I like to think that I, I, was, get, I was able to go up there and get it. You know, I was looking at the All-NBAs. You actually made All-NBA as a center
0: in like 2001. Back because I was trying to figure out like how many times were the positions just goofy, but you made it one time. I like that you said KG was kind of a talker. I think <laughs> that's the understatement of the century. <laughs> All he's doing is just dropping f bombs
1: on everybody on the court for two straight yeah. hours.
0: But you yeah, kind I mean, of enjoyed it. You had like a good back and forth with him. So at the beginning, I gotta say
1: he uh, he got on my skin a little bit. I mean, when I when I when he was still in Minnesota, I, I remember my first game and uh, there, and he would like come right up to my face and and talk to me and my English wasn't as great so I was a little nervous anyway so uh, he definitely got to me early but once once I had a little experience and uh, I knew how to handle it a little better but I remember there were games where you know I'd, we'd play and, and and I'd come out of my huddle we had a timeout I'd come my huddle and he would walk down from his huddle and stand right outside our huddle so when I walked out of the huddle <laughs> He was already right here in my face, walking with me every step. I was—I was, I remember thinking, "This guy is intense, man." This, this is great. So we've, we've had some great battles, and as you know, you know, greatness tries to bring greatness out of uh, whoever you're playing. So I try to compete as hard as I could, and and, and still try to attack as great defense. You know, when he was on the Celtics,
0: the first couple games, he was like that. I hadn't had the experience of just watching him day after day. And, and it was like, he's not going to be like this the whole season. Right. And then it turns out he was like that every single game. It didn't matter. You could play the worst team in the league. Yeah. He's banging his head against the basket support. C web got into the uh, hall of fame they announced. And you know, there's this five year run early in your career. Um, as you're hitting the first peak of your prime mm-hmm. where you're in there, KG's in there, there's still a little Carl Malone. Duncan is at his apex. And then C-Web is toe-to-toe with everybody there for like five years. And I was surprised it took this long for him to get in the Hall of Fame. I mean, obviously, he had controversial trade out of Golden State. The Washington experience didn't go right. But when you combine uh, the stuff he did for that five, six-year stretch with the Michigan stuff and what that college team meant, Mm -hmm. I thought it was a no-brainer. But do you feel like out of all the guys from this era, I feel like His peak C-Web has kind of been lost over the course of history. You went against him a shitload of times. Like, Did you feel like he was on par with you and Duncan and everybody
1: else? He he was up there, and I always say he was was a mismatch nightmare because he was so good on the block, but then he developed a little 17, 18-footer. He could. He was one of the best passers at the big position the, the league has seen. So he was a great all-around player, and basically put put up triple doubles uh, at, at will, especially with that shooting they had had they had around him and blotty and, and so they had a great team, and they, they really see Webb, and I think that whole Kings team to me was a little underappreciated. That to me they should have had a ring. Of course, there was some controversy that one year in that Lakers, mm. but they uh, they had an amazing team, and, and plus the crowd there. I mean, I can't imagine how much how much fun that that was to compete for that team and be on that team. How they were sharing the ball and, uh, they were fantastic. So I'm I'm happy for C Web. He was a great player and great playmaker, and shot maker, and
0: uh, well deserved. You guys had some good good series and games against that team. It was just it was during a time in the NBA when. I mean, honestly, 80% of the league was pretty boring to watch. It was slow. The games were at 85 to 80. They were really physical. And then it was like you guys, um, Sacramento. Then when Nash went to Phoenix, but for the most part, like it was the kind of wide open game that now we have, now we take every game is one twenty-five to one fifteen, one twenty to one seventeen. But, but there was two seasons there when it was just you two were the only teams playing like that. Um and I feel like it was a little ahead of its time. Looking back.
1: Yeah. I, I think that was sort of the, the, the time where the league was changing, the basketball was changing. Uh, Nellie, obviously being the visionary, he was never a big defensive guy. He was a, a mismatch kind of offensive play calling guy. And, uh, yeah, we always loved to loved to score in bunches. He loved to play four or five shooters at a time. And I remember he even had Bradley and Rafe Friends at the time pop back to 17, 18 foot. And Rafe sometimes shoot three. So we always tried to attack and, and outscore people. That was, that was our way of playing it. And, uh, you know, that was sort of the time the league was changing. I think more fouls were getting called. The hand check was taken away. They were putting in zone around that time. So... Uh, teams were forced to do other things and move the ball a little more, get everybody involved, and not just have uh, one guy dribble the ball ten times until he's under the hoop and lay it in. This was more. This was more forcing the movement and have, enjoy playing with each other. And Sacramento, to me, was a, was a perfect example. Uh, their ball movement and shooting from the perimeter was uh, was unbelievable to watch. So I think that time everybody was starting to change and see that the fives had to do more than just rebound and bang. Now they're bringing the ball up to shoot threes and it's just been the evolution of the game that started there has been super fun to watch.
0: When you watch basketball now, how jealous are you that you didn't, that prime Dirk wasn't playing in the way, I mean, you easily would have been 30 a game, I feel like, and you probably shoot more threes, right?
1: Yeah. You know, it would have been, it would have been definitely fun. It seems like it looks like the courts are wide open. Uh, for drives or drive and kick, for shooting, obviously for the trailer position, uh, there's just not a lot of paint traffic there, and uh, that, that definitely would have been fun. But um, you know, obviously, it would have been way more of a five. Maybe start the game big, but then uh, play more at the five position, which at some point with Nelly I was doing anyways. Um, there wouldn't have been a lot of rim protection, I'll tell you that. So it would have been, uh, would have been trying to outscore the, the opponent, that's for sure, with me at the five. But, uh, you know, we, we would have made it work. But offensively, it would have definitely been fun. Well,
0: you think, like, especially when you were with Nash and the thinking was, like, we got to get to get LaFrance, we got to get another big guy. Who can we get? Who can we get that dampier? Um, but now if you did that team over again, it would just be, like, we just got to get shooters with Dirk and Nash. We just got to create space for those two guys. Who can we put in the corners and just let them cook?
1: Well, you know that whole thing with Steve, of course, is super tough, and I think that's well documented with with Mark that he's years yeah. years after came out that that was a mistake to let Steve go. But in in the in the in the in the game that uh, that developed after Steve was vital. You know how he read the game, the pick and roll. it. He was able to play and get everybody involved. I mean, it was it, it developed into a guards' game, if you want. There was no big guys anymore pounding the ball yeah, in the, the guards' league, and, and Steve would have been was fantastic for for Phoenix uh, afterwards. And so, uh, yeah, he would have been he would have been great. And when when I first started with with Fin with Finley and Nash, I thought we were going to finish our careers together, and we're going to you know hopefully win win a title here in Dallas, and things unfortunately came a little different, but those those first couple of years with Steve, I think I played, we played our first six years together, or my first six years, uh, it, was, it was super fun on and off the court, for sure. Well, and you, there's a great
0: what if you get hurt in that one playoffs where I think you might have had the most talented team. It was 03, right? and San Antonio ends up yeah. winning it. You look back at that San Antonio team, they'd peak Duncan. Duncan's the best he's ever been that year, but Manu and Tony were really young. They yeah. weren't they weren't close to being who they were yet. Robinson was at the tail end of his career yeah. and Stephen Jackson was there and Speedy Claxton like I don't even know if that was one of the best four Spurs teams but I always yeah. felt like that was a a what if like if you stay uh-huh. healthy I do think you could have won the title that year. I know we could have we could have fought through and I was I got hurt I
1: think in game th- Three here or four? I can't quite remember. I think it was Game Three, but the guys obviously we stole Game One in uh, in San Antonio, which is still a great side story. Did you know we lo- we missed the first free throw that night and went 49 to 49 after. Oh my God! Game one in San Antonio, we shot forty-nine out of fifty from the free throw line to steal game one. Um, but yeah, I agree. We had a we had a great team. I love I love Nick Van Exel was so underrated for us, and he was amazing. And uh, we 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 had a fun squad. And then I was hoping to come back in action again for game seven, even though my knee wasn't great. So I was hoping that we can win game six at home. And we as that story is well documented. We were yep. up. 15 going the fourth quarter and pop dusted off Steve Kerr. And obviously we had to trap Tim Duncan every time. So we even had Walt Williams on him at some point. Uh, we had just had to, we junked the game up with smaller lineups. We would try to shoot threes. And, and so we had to trap Timmy all the time and just so Steve came in, hadn't played much all season and just stepped in. I think he had like four threes and five threes in the, in the fourth quarter. And, and they ended up winning Game Six, and I never got a chance to play again. So
0: that was like a that was like a sports movie. The Steve Kerr coming off the bench that was like a Disney movie. I yeah, know. you and you also the series before Seaweb got hurt, and it was yeah. in a blowout. You guys were one of one of you guys were up forty. I can't well, remember which well, team. c
1: Seaweb got hurt. I want to say in Game One or Game Two, and it still took us to Game Seven. Yeah, because um, they had—I mean—they had Hedo. They still had Paja, and they just made played a smaller lineup. I think with Paja at the four, uh, a lot, and it was—they were still super tough to guard with Bibi being at the top of his game. Um, so they were still a super tough lineup to guard, and so it took us all the way to Game Seven, and uh, at home, and we were able to to win that. And even the series before—I don't know if you remember that—but we played the Trailblazers, and so we were up 3-0, Oh and yeah! Lost three straight and uh, ended up winning Game Seven at home, even though the Blazers were still up one with like two minutes to go in Game Seven. So from that would have been the most epic collapse starting in Round One. Then in Round Two, it took us to Seven. So that was that was a, an unbelievable fun run for us. And unfortunately, we couldn't squeeze by San Antonio, but uh, you know they had a great team there for. For whatever, fifteen years plus, and Dun- and Duncan was—that was the best he's ever been. You have
0: you have a little ten-year anniversary of when you laid the smackdown on everybody. All right, and that was it. You won the title. Ten years already—that's sad. Oh, gosh. What do you? Ten years later, what? Like, what's your first memory of the whole thing?
1: Just when we won it all, you know, just enjoying the group that we had. Um, but you had to leave you 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 left yeah. you were you were
0: so emotional you disappeared so for 10 minutes time.
1: i had to i had to regroup you know i had to regroup uh, i had some tears coming out i think it's normal i think when you try something for so long you always fall short you fall short you try again you work super hard try to be better and you fail again it's just there was so much stuff that was kept inside all the pressure i put on myself the city the franchise I don't know, I just put so much stuff on myself. And then once once we got to the top of the mountain, I just I just broke down a little bit and, and I regrouped for like five to ten minutes and then I came back out was able to enjoy my, my teammates. But, I mean, w- what a run we had. And going into the season, we had a good, fun veteran group, but I don't think anybody had us uh, going anywhere, really. And even going into the playoffs with Perron getting hurt, torn his Patella. Uh, nobody really had uh, had us going anywhere, and we were almost the underdog in every series. And to come out on top was uh, a guy. I gotta say, that felt good, man. It it, it, gave, it, gave, it gave me a lot of confidence, and you know, I can I can I can do it. And that was that was big for me and for of course with the team and the franchise.
0: Well, I remember you had the Portland series. And Brandon Roy had that crazy game. And it was like, oh, Dallas, they're going to choke again. Then you get by them. There they go again. Yeah, there they go again. Another choke for Dallas. Nope. Get through them. Then you have the Lakers. And they're the two-time defending champs. You rip through them. But it's like, nah, oh, I, I can't remember. I think it was them then OKC was the West Finals. And that was this young, crazy OKC team that hadn't really had a taste of it yet. And you demolished them. And that was like, Durant, I I've talked to him about a podcast. He was like, you know, we'd, we'd never never been at that level yet. And here's Dirk. He's on a mission. It was like, I think those guys learned so much from that series, just like how possessed you were. Uh-huh. You ripped through them. Then you're in the finals, and it's Miami Coronation. It's really an incredible run. It really, there was every series, nobody believed in you, and you became the ultimate nobody-believes-in-us team. Yeah,
1: that was a fun run. I almost felt like
0: that Portland series got us together. I
1: think that, that collapse you mentioned we were up 20 in the fourth or something like that and they come come back and beat us and instead of saying, yeah, this is just us we, we kind of rallied together for game five and turned it around and I said, you know what? They're not beating us on our home court. We're, we're winning this game. We're winning this series and it kind of brought the whole team together. And from then actually we started to roll. We went, I remember we won game six in, in Portland, and we went straight down to LA for the for the next series. We didn't even go home. And we we're like, all right, let's just let's just try to roll. And then if you remember game one in LA kind of was a was was really tough for us. Kobe was on fire. He must have had 40 or something. He was making every shot. And we played from behind all game long. And I felt like for us at the end to just hang in there and steal that game. You know, Kobe, remember, had the shot from top of the key and it looked from my line, it was basically, it was in. And it just went a little long and it bounced up and out. And I think that really showed us we can, we can play with the back-to-back champs and we can beat them on their home court. And honestly, from that game one in L.A., we never looked back. We we, we, we rolled right through the playoffs and played at a really high level on both ends of the floor, and oh man, what what a what a fun run, of course.
0: Yeah, it's you know the way the NBA works now, and the way the teams are stacked, where it just seems kind of improbable <laughs> that another team's going to do that, where you just basically have one All Star and you win the title. And it, you know, I, I think a lot about that 11 Mavericks team with what's happened with the league the last few years, and especially. You never want to leave Dallas. You never want to get traded. You never want to sign somewhere else. Cuban never wanted to trade you. You were, he was just like Dirk's Dallas and we're synonymous. And this is how it's going to go. The only guy that's like this now, unless Luca, it's so early. I mean, maybe, maybe Luca will be this 15 years around or no, but the only guy who's like you now is Curry where Curry got drafted by that team. He's belonged to them and the franchise and the fans and the city and the area that whole time. And now he's 12 years in, and you see the stuff he's doing this year, and he's playing as well as he's ever played. But it feels feels weightier. It feels more important. It feels more significant because he stayed with that team the whole time. And I don't know if I'm like an old-school romantic, you know, back in my day, guys stayed with one team the whole time because the league, everybody just just switches teams all the time now, but I still feel like the Curry thing is meaningful and you're the best example of this, right? You had this connection to Dallas that when you actually won the title, it meant something more than just the title because they had kind of lived through all the ebbs and flows that your career had. Mm -hmm. And I guess my question is like, once Curry goes, are we just going to lose that? Is that gone?
1: Well, yeah. I, I, I think it's just a different time, a different league now um, than, than it was back then. Uh, loyalty meant a lot to me. And of course, with, with the fans and, and the organization being so great to me from the beginning, where I wasn't playing well right away in my first two years, and still people wanted me to succeed and helping me out, I think that meant a lot to me. And... I, I thought to myself, if I get a chance to pay back some of the loyalty that I'm receiving, I'm, I'm more than happy to do it. And then Mark buying the team in my in my second year and, uh, you know, just us developing this, this, this relationship and friendship over the years and he being my number one supporter on the court, but also plenty of mishaps happened off the floor and he was always there to, to help me and guide me through it. So... Um, that's why I always wanted to stay loyal to this team, but I do understand you know, times have changed uh, you know, that I felt like for so long the teams had all the power, you know, they can trade you, you can play well, it doesn't matter, the next day they, they ship you out of here, and then, you know, stuff has changed now, now the agents have more power, and the, and the players, and so uh, you know the the, the power sh- shifted a little bit there somewhere along the way, which is probably a good thing for for the players. Totally. But now it's 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 just it's it's just a little different. It just doesn't happen much anymore that a guy stays for for one team. But I feel like it's 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 always on an individual basis. You know what works for you. Um, is is the city good for you for your family? There's so, is the team good? Are you playing enough? Are you making enough money? Can you? You know, there's so many factors that factor in your your decision to stay or go, and I feel like everybody needs to needs to needs to do those uh, decisions by themselves. But for me, it was always the right one to stay, and I was so part I was part of this community at some point. You know, doing all this community work, and um, fans were rallying around me and and hoping for me to win. So I, was, I felt like I, I belonged here and, and nowhere else.
0: Yeah. I mean, by the 2020s model, right? You lose in 07 to the Warriors. Then you lose the next year. And then the whole social media 24-7, the way basketball is covered now, it's probably halfway through the 07-08 season. It's like, will Dirk reunite with Nash and Phoenix? Yeah. <laughs> and then it's people like me are on podcasts making fake trades. I don't know. It could be M- Marion and Stoudemire for Dirk. and And then all of a sudden now you're on Phoenix and and then that goes for two years. And then I, that's just kind of what happens now. Anytime somebody has a little bit of adversity or a season doesn't go right, you just start wondering, are they going to stay? Yeah. And I think Giannis signing with the Bucks was also a really good sign that maybe, as you say, it's an individual thing. Yeah. Depending on who the who the person is, what their connection is with the city, with the organization, things like that. And then Luca, it's super early, but uh, he seems to me like another one who I could see potentially just staying for 20 years. I like, I'm old school. I, the Curry thing is meaningful to me. Mm -hmm. I like that. He's been there the whole time. I like that. Clay went down right before the year and he's like, all right, throw more on my back. I'm going to carry us. I'm going to get us to the playoffs. And I like that versus the whole, Hey, I'm switching teams again. I'm going here. But again, I'm old school. I'm probably an old fart. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm old school that way too. But it's just, you know, always times are changing. You have to adapt with times and it's just, it's, just not, it's just not the 90s and probably
0: 2000s anymore. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, Get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. I got to ask you about Jokic. I don't know how much you've seen of him. I know you're a big family guy. You're traveling a lot, but there's a lot of Dirk in some of the stuff Jokic is doing. Even though you guys, different bodies, different styles, all that stuff, but the way he's can kind of control the game from the perimeter. I mean, he's a better passer than you. Or you're probably a little bit better shooter than, than he is. Um, But he has spots on the court. And I did a podcast a couple weeks ago and we were talking about, he's got these, basically anywhere in the perimeter, you had that spot, like top of the key, that was your area. That was like your neighborhood. This is where you operated from. Mm -hmm. And he can go there, but he can also pull people down low and post them up. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, if you double him, don't double him because he's just going to find somebody open right away. If you single him, he's got all these different moves. Mm -hmm. When did you... When did you get to the point as an offensive player when you felt like, all right, these are my areas. I have full command in these spots and I know this part. And if somebody does this, I know exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. They don't do this. I know exactly what to do. Like how many years does that take?
1: So I, you know, if you remember early on, I was basically just a shooter. I set my pick and then, You know, when I I popped, I was open, I shot the ball, I drove a little bit. But I wasn't, once teams started to switch, I basically just got out of the way and let Steve do his thing or whatever the case may be. And then once Steve left, I was like, I got to develop a little more. I can't just, you know, force switches and then I can't do anything about it. I got to find ways to still score. Teams were kind of taking me away with their switching. And so that's when I, I started. When Avery took over, um, he forced me a little to do more, to do, be more comfortable in, 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 the, in the post-up area or a little bit off the block and off the hash marks. Get comfortable down there in these areas where you can turn around, you can shoot over little guys. Um, get comfortable more in, in the in the free throw line area where, once usually when a big guy is switched on and he rolls the small down the other big comes over and kicks them out and you end up in the same situation you have another big on you so that's when we developed that kind of that free throw line iso because there's no way for the little guy to run away and me on top of the key and back switch yeah that that was the idea to 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 punish the little guy and and keep him on me not let him back switch and still be able to shoot over him uh, from these from these spots so how long did that take? Like two, three years? Uh, I guess lots of practice in the summertime. I was I was working against little, smaller guys on switching, and uh, so you just you know take your time and 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 learn the and that's what you're so good at. Try to control the game at your own pace. Even though I wasn't the fastest, he's not the fastest, but you know the the as you get older, I, I want to say the game slows down for you. You know you know where everybody is. And Avery was very uh, focused on guys had to be on the same spots on the court. So I always knew where my outlets were in, in, in case they were doubling. And and so I just, uh, yeah, I just got more comfortable the more I did it uh, hundreds of thousands of times in practice over the summer. Uh, I got more comfortable. And then it's just like really, I knew once I had a switch, I can get one or two dribbles. I could get them a little lower. So I'll make it a little easier shot. And all I had to do was lean back a little bit and, and, and shoot over him. And so, you know, it wasn't really till 2007 that something threw something new at us. And that was really Nelly when we played Gold State in the first round when they upset us. Uh, of course, he had my game scouted. Uh, he knew I liked to go left. So what he was doing was he, he, they crowded me with smaller guys. And when I put the ball left, he knew I would spin. Yeah. So he would send a double team from my blind side and once I once went on my spin, there was a double team guy, and that rattled me. That rattled uh, rattled our whole team, and I wasn't as efficient. And that's how I got upset. So the next year, I was like, maybe I need to spin a little less. Maybe I got to know. I got to see the floor at all times. Maybe I I got to work on my passing. So uh, you just go through these stages where you you learn and um, you know you work from from your experience. When you watch Luca.
0: Well, actually, let's go backwards. So, Luca's a rookie, and it's so cool that you guys cross paths. You're at the tail end. He's at the beginning, beginning. Mm -hmm.
1: Did you know right away with him? Honestly, so I've only seen video of him. I don't watch much EuroLeague and stuff. So, getting ready for that draft, I only see a few highlights from him, and I was like, oh, he looks big as a guard. I don't know if he can keep up with athleticism. He doesn't look fastest. He drove by these guys easy in the League, but I'm like, the, the defenders here are, are sort of different. So I didn't really quite know. I thought he could be a really good skilled player, a big guard. Uh, I didn't know that he was actually faster than he than, than he looked, and I didn't know how good of a passer and shooter he was. So he he surprised me on, on, on multiple levels. and And when he got here, I think he was playing something Euroball and then he came for training camp and you know before training camp you usually meet a couple weeks before guys play five workout together we lift we play five and five before camping starts and the first day he plays a little bit and and I remember he was already like super cool and giving the passes them, kind of giving him a look i was like I got to test him a little bit right so there's at the big I, I fouled him pretty hard one time and then he's at the free throw line for games. So I'm going over there. I'm like, I gotta love something for this young guy. So I'm giving him a little trash talk and I was like, there's no way you're making these two free throws. And and he was, he just he just smiled at me. He didn't say anything. And he knocked those two free throws in. So I think he gained respect right away by his by his composure, by how mature he was as a as a 19, 20 year old how he sees the floor, um, how he reads the pick and roll situations. I mean, he's so far ahead of his time already, and ahead of his age that it's it's, it's actually really scary. So we uh, we were surprised uh, the minute we saw this kid on the floor in
0: Dallas. It's there's a bird magic quality to him where it's like he just his pace is the pace the game's going to be played at. Mm -hmm. which I thought when you were talking about how he seemed a little slow, the weird thing is he's not slow. He's faster than you think he is, but it doesn't really matter because he, he's just getting to wherever he wants to go, which is exactly what bird and magic were like. They were always got to whatever spot they wanted. And it's like, you know, you have somebody like LeBron does the same thing, but he's also like such an incredible athlete. You wouldn't, you wouldn't call Luca an incredible athlete, but, The hand-eye coordination and the ability, I guess Jokic has a little of this too, where it's just like, I'm going to end up seven feet over in that spot, getting the shot at. I don't know how I'm getting there, but it's going to happen. And I've been shocked by um, just how easy it is for him when the whole team is revolved around his offense. His usage rate is higher than any season you had in Dallas, right? That (laughs) team knows what's happening. Yeah. But it doesn't really matter. He's still getting to where he wants. And I look at this Clippers series. Yeah, the Clippers wanted to play them. Yeah, they kind of kicked their ass a little bit last year. But um, Luca's still the best player in the series. And, you know, at some point, if you're really great, earlier in your career, you're going to have the series where you just kick somebody's ass, right? And it doesn't matter if the other team's better. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but I don't think that series is a layup for the Clippers either. They could regret uh, wanting the uh, Mavs.
1: Well, I hope so. I think with 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 KP hopefully being healthy now for the run, he's missed a lot of games here this year, of course. But if if and he got hurt last year in the bubble, if you remember yep. against the Clippers, and before then it was kind of like you know neck and neck to neck, and then and then uh, and then unfortunately uh, he got hurt, and then the, the Clippers definitely took over. But uh, we hope that it's going to be a tight fun series. And the thing with Luca, everybody knows now his his skill set, but. He's, he's, he's so good with the ball with the dribble that he can get to spots. And what people don't realize, how fast he's switching directions. I don't think his his necessarily his end speed, his full speed is super fast. But the way he's super shifty, like he can push back super quick, accelerate again, push back. He's super quick at changing directions. That's one thing. And then people don't realize how, how big and strong he is. He's a legit six eight, six nine. So once he has a defender that's a little smaller than him on his shoulder, he's going to get to the basket. He's just going to wail and wail and, and push him in. He's, he's a legit 250. I don't even know how much he weighs these days, but he's super, super strong legs, super shifty. And once he has a, a little bit of an, an edge on you, he, he's getting to his spots and then he's tall enough. He's got the step back game. He's got the floater game. He could pass with the best album. So he's, he's, man, he's he's a full package at, at 21, 22 years old. It's actually scary.
0: So the most important thing you taught him was how to complain after every non call. So yes. Was that like a month long seminar <laughs> yeah. that you just taught him all the tricks? What happened? Because he complains about everything.
1: That's a skill that all the Euros No, <laughs> for some reason. Uh, no, I just, I, I don't know. He's, to me, I'm not in a position for me to go up to him and say, hey, complain less, because I, I like to believe that I complain a lot. You did. Uh, it's <laughs> and, <laughs> and a compliment. Uh, no, it's just, I don't know. We're, I, was, I was usually, I always say that I was off the floor, super quiet, super laid back. But during the game, it's just, this, you're so emotional and you always you want to let somebody have it. And I don't know, he's the same way. He's a little too emotional on that on that part. So he just, you know, I think hopefully with experience, um, he'll get better with it and learn how, I think a big part of it is how to talk to the referees in in a, in a good way. I mean, I've, I've remember videos of MJ or Jason Kidd used to do that all the time when they walk over there and they put their hands over their mouth and then anything goes. Right. But if you do the, you know, the demonstrative, you know, actions and yelling, I think that's really what, what, The referees feel like showing them up, and and the league doesn't really love. So I think once he gets a little more experience and a little less emotional, as he gets more experience, uh, I think he's he's going to be great. But right now he's still he's still very very emotional and fired up. MJ was the greatest I've ever seen at that. Yeah, he would do he would
0: do the sneak over, he would do the mutter under his breath thing, and he also he was so famous the refs you know they he he was they were in the palm of his hand he could basically say whatever and they were it was almost like they were disappointing him if they made the wrong call it's a hard place to get to i think nash was good at it too because when nash got mad about a call it was rare enough that the refs i think realized like oh i might have screwed that one up you right. know cuz nash was doing the canadian oh i'll just i'll just i don't want to complain i just want to be a good soldier so when he got mad he got mad by the way speaking of nash
1: Were you shocked when he took
0: that job? What was your reaction?
1: I I was a little shocked. He, he of course, called me and and told me about it uh, before it came out. And I just didn't see him as, as really a head coach. I thought he's been doing some individual workouts with some guys. I know he's helped KD along the way and some other guys. And I thought that might be a path that he enjoys, really individual coaching. You know, you still have an influence. You still have an influence on the game. Uh, but I, I never thought he would be a, a, a head coach. And so that, that surprised me, but, um, uh, you know, he's, he was out of the game, what, six years or something? And then, you know, the itch came back, and uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. I mean, what, what situation, what better situation to step in uh, with, with, uh, with that team that I have? And I think he's enjoying the challenge, uh, even though, I mean, the pressure is there. If if they don't win it all this year, it's it's a bust. I mean, I've, I've been on some of those teams, and that's uh, that's a lot of pressure for for a rookie coach. But I think I I've, I went to the game the other day, of course, in, in Dallas to watch him, and I think he's the players have a lot of respect for him. I think he finds a way to to talk to them. Always, he was always so encouraging and positive, even when he played. Uh, I just think he's a, he's a player's coach, and, and players will would love to play for him.
0: Yeah, I was surprised that the hiring took shit because I was, I never thought he would do it, but I always thought if you ever want to do it, he was the all time no brainer coach, right? Cause Correct. he had this calm demeanor. Mm-hmm. He was the leader of any team he was ever on his offensive mind and how he broke stuff down is the highest possible level. Mm-hmm. And any player who interacted with him, who was like a famous superstar player always clicked with him, Right. Even mm-hmm. in golden state, like him and Durant, like really got along. And that's probably one of the reasons he got the job. But, um, mm-hmm. I, when you look back, I voted for him for third for coach of the year because you look at this Brooklyn season and it's like, uh, it's like an HBO drama. It had 17 things happened. There's lots going. Man. Oh my God. I mean, the Harden trade Kyrie leaves twice. The, Aldridge shows up and then has to retire in five games. They get yeah. Blake Griffin. They've had like twenty nine players. Mm-hmm. I've been impressed that I don't know they, they there's hasn't been nearly as much drama as I feel like maybe there there could have been. But I think that's partly because of him
1: because he's even keeled. It's it's because of him and I think they also gave him a great staff. I mean, if you look at D'Antoni and Jacques has been uh, obviously a head coach in this league and then Ime is a, is a great coach so. I think they, uh, they put a good staff around him and, and he's learning and I think he's, he's enjoying uh, the challenge, but I'm sure he can't be easy. I mean, I don't know some of the day-to-day stuff that's going on, but just stuff that you read, you're like, oh my, this, this is a lot happening. But he, yeah, he seems uh, to know how to deal with it and talk to these guys since he's been in the locker room for 16 years, 17 years himself. And he just knows, uh, he knows how to relate to most of the guys.
0: Did he ask you to join him?
1: he he thought uh, that it might be possible, maybe, or he asked if if I was be interested. Um, it's just not first of all, it'd be really hard for me to leave Dallas for anything. Uh, you know, I just put so much sweat, blood and tears in in here and in the maverick organization that it'll be always be super weird to do anything for somebody else. but also, it's just not not my time. So it's just, I, I just retired. Um, I'm enjoying life with, with the children and traveling. So it's just, I'm not ready, honestly, to, to grind and go back to the traveling and, um, you know, be gone for eight, nine months straight. And you know how hard coaches have to work so hard watch film all day long and stay at the gym all day. I don't think I'm there yet. So maybe, maybe when I'm out five, six years, maybe I'm interested in something. But for now, I'm I'm
0: enjoying life. I don't see you doing it. I don't see you doing the day to day grind like that. Because even when you were playing, that was the part. That was the part that was. uh, I remember we talked about this on this podcast a million years ago about like you love the games, but it was the. Practice the day to day, the conditioning, the just putting in the 365 days a year to be ready to play. That that's what kind of wears you down after a while, right?
1: At the end, for sure, that's the one thing that's tough. And but you know, see what was, see what Timmy Duncan did last year or the year before. I would have never thought that he would be a head coach or a coach yeah. to buy it. And uh, he tried it out for a year, ended up not loving it, I guess, because he's not doing it anymore. I didn't talk to him about it, but. Um, you know, maybe that's, that's in my future and then try to see if, if see if I like it or, um, but, you know, honestly, I can see myself more on the management side here or, or helping where, where I can. But, uh, you know, as of now, there haven't really been lots of discussions on what's next for me. I kind of told him I need some time away from the sport and I need to enjoy the family first and foremost. I could see you buying like a Division Two
0: German soccer
1: team or something
0: wacky like that.
1: I, I think you go sideways. Yeah, there's always that possibility, <laughs> uh, which which is, of course, fun. And honestly, since I've been out of the game, I've been doing some fun stuff and learning more about the business uh, and investments. And, and that's super cool because for 20, 21 years, I've, I've been basically down one road, and that's that's all basketball. And now I've been learning... Uh, new stuff, and then I'm really enjoying that that right now. So uh, we'll see where or what's next in my life, but something wacky could definitely come up. What's the state of German
0: basketball right now? Where are we? How are we looking? Honestly, Schroeder you know, Schroeder's
1: involved, right? Who oh, else do we have? It should be pretty good. You know, we have we have Schroeder, we have Tice, uh, who's now in Chicago. Uh, we have Clevo, of course, who's here in, in, in Dallas, and a few others. Um, so we have a very good national team and we're we have a, we have to qualify for the Olympics this summer um, which will be really hard and then the following year in 2022 we have the European championship in our home country it's going to be in uh, Cologne and Berlin oh wow so it's that's uh, gonna be it's going, to be, uh, it's going to be fun a couple of challenges for for the German national team uh, uh, coming up the next few years but I think we're, we're talented and we're deep and Hopefully they can uh, they can have a good run at at most of these tournaments.
0: But there's been no no uh, sons of the Dirk generation. We haven't had that that forward who's just like basically doing an imitation of you. Does that person
1: exist yet? uh, I think a few of them are in the works, um, but they're in the lab. yeah, Yeah, obviously there is there is great talent, and so we're just hoping from that one generation that's under now and under a 20 that there was uh, some of, some of those guys will make it all the way to the top. So we'll, uh, we'll see what happens there in the future. This episode is brought
0: to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus view it's historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Tell me, um, how crazy is Cuban now that he's in his sixties? Is he, is
1: he just, is he
0: more of a character than he was 20 years ago? Is he settled down? Where is he on the character scale right now? Well, honestly,
1: from where he started, he was started at a Three hundred, so it was only there was only a way down. I mean, who was. Yeah. I mean, when he first bought the team, he was at every. He didn't have kids. He wasn't married at the time, so he was at every practice. He was on every flight. Uh, he was at every game. I mean, he was super, super hands-on, super involved. We we play shooting games with him after practices. I play one-on-one with him, and uh, from that, once he started a family, and you know, he, he's definitely. Slowed it down. He doesn't travel as much anymore. Um, and, but he's when he goes to the games, he's still as fired up as ever. If I still watch him on the sideline, he's over there one, two, three seconds. Just, you know, that's that'll that'll never change from the minute the game starts till the end. I just think he's so fired up. But he's a little. He's not around as much as he used to be. It feels like Balmer has stolen his thunder a little bit as the craziest
0: sideline owner. I just feel like Balmer's has taken it up a notch. Yeah, and Cuban, nasty. Cuban kind of let it go. He did. He didn't yeah. care. He gave it to him.
1: Yeah, it was. Uh, there was some good stuff going on on sidelines for sure for years.
0: When Cuban ran on the court during the bench-clearing brawl, I think that was Pete Cuban. I think that was his top moment. Remember that? Wait, his first couple of years when he owned the team, when there was like almost a fight, and Cuban ran on the
1: court to break it up. <laughs> you don't remember that? I don't even remember I think remember. he got fined Yeah Oh man He probably had his, his little with the Cuban with the money sign shirt on Do you remember that? Oh my god and He made himself a shooting shirt It's a Cuban And the money sign The number was the money sign uh, yeah. I actually I think he actually
0: Doesn't get enough credit For how impactful he was Compared to the old guard of owners When he took over Right? The stuff he And there was like a lot of resentment The first two years People are like wait, he's, he's fixed in the locker room? What the fuck is this? <laughs> is he, spend a million dollars in the locker room? Is this guy insane? And now, like, everybody does shit like that. Like, having a really nice private plane to fly the teams around. Like, he he just kind of figured it out really early that this was a competitive advantage for him. And now everybody does what he did.
1: For sure. He was he was ahead of his time when he got in. I mean, he couldn't believe some of the hotels we were staying at. What, what do you mean there's no food after games? You guys have to... Uh, you know, recuperate right after and, and, and get the nutrition you needed. So we started to have food before and after the games. Uh, he bought us a, a, a new airplane. Uh, we started staying in nice hotels. Um, he bought us a new, or built a new arena. And so he uh, he definitely turned the Mavericks around from the 90s where it was a, a tough, tough, tough decade for, uh, for a Mavs fan. And then when he came, he just, he made it. He made it a franchise to, to be again where, where guys wanted to come and play for. And uh, he put us back on the map. So he, uh, and, and, you know, he just had that, that uh, he just hit the, the jackpot a few years before. So money didn't really matter that much to him. So it was, all, it was all out. It was, we want a good team. We want to win. And he didn't care that much about spending money. So that, uh, that, that was unbelievable time back then.
0: When was the last time you touched the basketball?
1: It's been a long time. Sometimes with the kids a little bit, I'm messing around in the backyard. But for me, actually, taking a ball and doing something. So actually, a year ago, I was was filming a commercial in Germany for one of my sponsors. And they said, I I come in the gym, and I knew I had to do maybe a a little bit of shooting or something. I come in the gym, there's five young guys sitting there, like 17, 18. They're rubbing their hands. I was like, what's going on here? And they're like, we want you to play a little bit three-on-three. And I was like, "What? I'm about 40 pounds overweight. My ankle <laughs> is the size of a coconut." I was like, "There's just no chance I could play." So we—that was the only time I, I, I had to touch the ball and I shot it a little bit against the guys. But uh, there was uh, there was just no way that uh, that that I could still play. I mean, I, my ankle is actually not great at all. Um, so I have a little uh, I have some problems here and there I to, yeah course, I was gonna
0: ask you about that because it seemed like the last two years it seemed like basically from waist down just went on you like you yeah. you basically lost your
1: tires so basically it was the knees are fine the, the one ankle is fine it was really just that one ankle that that uh, went It was the one that I always jumped off for the one leg or the left ankle it was always the one that I happened to roll probably about 50 times in my career and then over time, so it, just, you know, it got worse and worse, and some of the doctors kept saying, I can't believe you're playing on this ankle. And I'm like, I don't really have that many problems. So I just kept going. And then my last two years, they kind of showed up though. I didn't really have much movement in the ankle anymore. I couldn't switch directions much anymore. And then we tried that one surgery. We took some bone spurs out before the last year, and that made it all worse. Now then I had all this arthritis uh, coming up, and so, the last two years were really tough. In, ha- in hindsight, I'm not sure I, w- I would do that again. Uh, but, you know, if you're in the thick of things and you're enjoying it, you're still loving the grind, uh, you give it all you got. Uh, but it, in hindsight, probably wasn't the smartest thing to do.
0: Yeah, like Duncan, the last two years, was basically on one leg. Like his knee was gone. Bird, the last two yeah, years, had I, no back.
1: And I was like, we'd be, on, we'd be an all-star game. Uh, and for the, you know, at the practice, it's nothing. You throw a couple of uh, half-court shots up, right? And he would always put his knee brace on. I was like, Timmy, for that, you're putting your knee brace on? Come on, we're doing nothing. He's like, yeah, man, it's just just bone on bone. And it's, it's just really bad. So uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's once, once, I mean, one thing, one joint is acting up. It's, it's, it's tough to
0: still try to
1: play at the highest level, of course.
0: We you think about, You were were seven feet. Duncan was, I think, seven feet. Like, KG, also seven feet. At some point, a seven-foot body running up and down a basketball court for 26 years, 27 years. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you figure you have so many many back and forth in you, and then what happens? It's going to be a knee. It's going to be an ankle. It's going to be something. That's why I think the stuff LeBron, when you actually look at the number of games and minutes he's played, it's almost inconceivable. Like, he's at 60,000 minutes now for playoffs in regular season. It's like, it's yeah. basically him and Kareem, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how much longer this can go, but he seems like he's 90% what he used to be.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's still so super athletic and super fast. I mean, obviously, Kareem at the end wasn't the fastest anymore. True. Really. Uh, but what LeBron's doing is, uh, is unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, you hear all, or you read these stories, how much time and money he invests in his body. And this is probably what, what helps him now. If, if he looks at his diet and the training and, and the stretching and all that is obviously what's, what still keeps him at uh, the highest level. But it's still, I mean, I tried all that starting when I was 30. And yeah, it's, it's just impossible what he's doing.
0: What do you wish you could have gone back and told like 22 year old Dirk about conditioning dieting and all that stuff like what how much of that were you not doing
1: well honestly we we didn't know that much about it when I first got in the league you know we were one of the first teams that hired a, a nutritionist and that was maybe my second or third year in the league honestly you know this we had guys eating chicken fingers and <laughs> burgers and fries Nick my next always ate a, ate a burger before before every game it's just we didn't know now everybody's vegan and gluten-free and all this and that. Um, we learned all this later. Well, I mean, we lifted a little bit, but we, we didn't know any much about nutrition, so we ate whatever. Um, and, and so I learned more about it later in my life. I'm probably I changed my diet when I was about 27, 28. When you're, just, when you're just in your prime and you're like the next summer, you're like, oh, I'm feeling a little tweaks. Maybe I should try something. And then. and that's when I cut out sugar and, and the red meat and, and obviously all the desserts and stuff and all the cut out drinking during the season. And, uh, so that's where we learned really more about it. So probably mid, mid two thousands, um, is when, uh, when I changed some of my, some of my habits and before just anything, you know, when you're 20, anything goes, you know? Um, so I learned more. So I, Look back. I would say start with that earlier because it does make a huge difference in how you feel and how you recover after games. Um, so I would say start dieting and, and nutrition. Start that way early. You can't start that early enough.
0: Plus, they they had to trade Nash, so you stopped going out with them. I mean, that was probably the best thing that happened to you, right? <laughs> probably, probably <laughs> that, that that's the
1: reason you kept dragging me out.
0: Uh How old's your oldest kid now? Uh she's seven and a half,
1: almost eight. So So are you in this you're in the sports parent zone now? Uh yeah, she the boys the boys are a little younger, but they play a little they're uh they're six and four and a half. So they play a little tennis and a little soccer at school. Um so yeah, we're but we're not like every other day driving up through all these tournaments. We're not, we're not there yet, but where, where we're getting there, where we're picking them up and dropping them off at tennis and such and such, and gymnastics and all sorts of things. So we're, we're, we're getting there where it's, where it's definitely busy. Tennis, interesting. You know, tennis was the first sport that I played. I remember. It's a great sport for, for hand-eye. It's a great sport for footwork. And so I basically played it my entire life. And it's, it's a sport that you can learn at a young age. And you can play until you're 70 years old. My dad, a few years ago, still played doubles. So it's, it's a sport you can play over your entire life. And it, it, does, it did so much for my hand-eye and, uh, and the footwork. So uh, um, that was a no-brainer to me. I play all the time still now, if, if my ankle allows. And then we have the kids taking lessons on, on next to us on, on, the, on the court. So it's, uh, it's, it's perfect. Well, you were the, the uh, sons of the Boris Becker generation. And Steffi Graf. I and mean, Steffi Graf. Those two were like German heroes. that when Becker won, Becker won Wimbledon when he was like barely 16, I remember. 16. That was, an,
0: it was kind of one of the most underrated sports moments of the 80s. He was literally 16 years old. He won Wimbledon and nobody could believe it.
1: I'll never forget. He beat Kevin Curran, the yeah. South African guy in the final. And, just uh, there was a tennis boom after these two guys, and and my my parents joined like a recreational club thing. They weren't very good, but on the weekends we would just go there and hang out, grill with the friends. Well, the kids were on the court, basically all 10, 10 hours, we we'd be hitting all day, and the kids were uh, the the parents were doing their barbecues and hanging out, and we were basically on the tennis court, so. That was, my, that was my first sport, and I definitely thought if I have kids and they want to do sports, the tennis would be a great thing to start off with, so that's, that's what we did. Becker was, they always talk
0: about, like, what would happen if so-and-so unbelievable athlete played tennis, right? Like, what would happen if Iverson played tennis? Becker <laughs> was an unbelievable athlete. I still feel like he's the best athlete I've ever seen on a tennis court. He could do absolutely everything. It felt like nobody could lob it over his head. I really felt like he was like a one-on-one for me.
1: He was great. You know how he always, like, jumped around and got those crazy, crazy jumps. Ridiculous. Beat up after the game. So, man, he was, he was, a, he was a man. I was, I was able to meet him a couple times, and I, I told him I was, I was a huge fan when I
0: grew up. Um, last question. Brooklyn-Dallas finals.
1: <laughs> what do you do? I mean, obviously
0: uh, you root for Dallas, but Nash is, like, your guy. What do you do? Uh,
1: I I told Nash the other day when when I saw him here when they were here I said hey, you know I love you like a brother but you know I, my Mavs my maps blood is in me and I bleed blue so I I hope you have a great game, and I hope your team plays well but the the W has to stay in in Dallas and uh, that's that's what happened but All right. I'm sure he understood that
0: yeah he's he's, he's fine with that. Who's your favorite player to watch now, just out of curiosity, out of
1: all all the dudes in the league? You can't say a Mav. Yeah, of course. I love watching uh, Luca play. But outside of the Mavs, I don't watch as much as I used to. But Steph was one of my favorites, of course. You brought him up earlier. I remember some when I was still, you know, watching every night when I played, there were playoff runs when they have their deep runs and I'd be sitting at the TV screaming, shoot, when he was like, when he was on fire, right? He was unconscious and he would dribble across half court. I'd be yelling at the at the at the TV for him to shoot the ball. And he's just so fun to watch. Him and Clay, love Clay, you know scoring, with 60 on five dribbles or something mean, <laughs> those, two, those two as a combo. Uh, we're, we're as fun to watch as, as it gets, for sure, for me, as, as a shooter and how much appreciation I have for those two, for sure. Well, even though it would have been more fun to watch you in this era,
0: I do feel like it probably would have changed how you played a little bit. So in a weird way, you ended up in the right era because nowadays I do think you would have had to, percentage-wise, they just would have laid it out to you. You got to take 10 threes. Like you make four out of 10. It's better for
1: us. Uh, yeah. some they would have taken my mid range away from me a little bit. I think that's where I was most comfortable at 15 to 16 feet, the turnarounds. Yeah. Some of that, is just not, not efficient. And now anymore enough anymore for, for the game these days, which was a little sad. I mean, it's either threes or layups. I think some of the, some of the, the, the fun is going away of that. Yeah. But, you know, just that's that's the way the game is going. I understand everything's about stats, and a uh, three obviously counts more than a two. I, I get all that, but I do miss the old school, the the nice pull ups, the, the the turnarounds, and some of that is unfortunately uh, getting lost a little bit our Game. Well, that team that you won a title with would now no
0: longer make sense in the NBA, right? Where <laughs> just the style of play, the they're just. Having multiple defenders out there at the expense of offense and just all the stuff that was going on. I just, Terry is somebody that I feel like in this day and age would have loved it, right? He would have taken 15 threes a game. But other than that, it was a pretty unconventional team. And it feels like it happened 20 years ago.
1: You know, I always say Jet and myself, Terry, we were so bad defensively and JJ that we needed Three other defenders out there <laughs> to cover all the holes. You know, Jake Kid was unbelievable, even at his older age, on defense. Sean Mary plugged numerous of holes, and so did obviously Chandler and Haywood and all the big guys that protected us. That when we won the championship, so I felt like we we needed to, to keep the scoring up, and, and the other guys were, were were plugging all the holes that we created. So that, yeah. was, that, that was fun. Well, it's good to see you. You look exactly the same um
0: um, good luck with your uh your luca dallas run say hi to cubes for us and uh and it was a pleasure to talk to you as always